Grab your Bibles, open them up to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Quick review. Um, you know, we've gone through various series and adventures in the Bible. Is the one that we said, let's go back and see some of those stories of God's Word. And last week we picked back up with reminding about Moses and and uh, we know all about Moses, central figure during that time. I mean, Moses was Moses was God's man. I mean, it's like you're the man, right? They, they would have said that back then to Moses. People revered and they respected Moses, and oh yeah, they complained and they argued against Moses as well. But when it came back around, it's whatever Moses said. Let's listen to him. Let's follow him because he's he's right in tune with God, right? But then we read in Joshua chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, After the death of Moses, I mean, this is how this book starts, right? After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. <laughs> it's like, hey, Joshua, come here. You're in charge. It's just like that, right? Two million people. And remember the history of these people. They've experienced slavery and bondage, and then they're free, and they're wandering through the wilderness. Forty-plus years, large in numbers, stubborn, rebellious at times, happy at times. They're all over the place, right? They're going to face some strong military adversaries. They have no military experience. They don't have a food program except manna from God. And, and, and God goes to Joshua and says, you the man. And Joshua's like, wasn't Moses the man? Maybe he didn't do it like that. He's like, <clears throat> wasn't Moses the man? I don't know. Who knows what his voice was like? Who knows what he said like? But I'm sure in those moments of transition of power, Joshua's like, whew, deep breath. What do I do, Right? God's got this. Because God is good. Did we not just think that God is good? God's like, Joshua, let me help you on this. I'm going to give you a little pep talk here. So let's, let's read this pep talk that God gives him, starting in verse 3. He says this, I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever your foot, you set your foot, you will be on the land I've given you. From the Negev wilderness to south of the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites. Verse 5. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Verse 6 goes on to say, Be strong and courageous, for you're the one who will lead these people to possess all the land that I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the laws and instructions that Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you'll be successful in everything you do. Verse 8 goes on to say, Study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to do everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Verse 10. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, go through the camp, tell the people to get their provisions ready. 
In three days, you'll cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land the Lord your God has given you. Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he told them, Remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you? The Lord your God has given you a place to rest. He's given you this land. Your wives, children, livestock may remain here in the land Moses assigned to you on the east side of the river. But your strong warriors, fully armed, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory. Stay with them until the Lord gives them rest as he has given you rest. And until they too possess the land the Lord your God is giving them. Only then may you return and settle here on the east side of the Jordan River, the land of Moses, the servant of the Lord, assigned to you. And that's the end of the pep talk, right? Joshua is a book in which the, the Israelites enter their promised land. That's what this book is going to be about. It's, but it's not just a book about conquering. It's about obedience. It's about trust. And listen carefully to the words of God here. I want to go back real quick. This isn't what the message is about today, but I want you to hear these words, okay? Because this was God, first of all, saying, I want to bless you, and I want to give you assurance and confidence that it's going to be okay. So let me remind you this, and he starts off with these guarantees, and here's the first one, regarding a new home. He said this in verse 3, 6, 13, and 15. He goes, I promise you, I'm, I'm giving this to you. The Lord your God has given you a place to rest. He's given you this land. The land that God is giving you. It's like God says, hey, I've got something for you. Hey, I've got something for you. Hey, I'm giving this to you. I'm giving this to you. Now, what if at Christmas time somebody comes up and gives you a gift? They're like, here, this is for you. This is for you. This is for you. This is for you. You, you want to like smack them, right? You're like, okay, I get it. It's for me. I get it. It's for me. God's telling them. How many times does God have to tell us, I'm giving this to you, I'm giving this to you, before they get it? But see, God has to repeat himself sometimes because sometimes we don't get it the first time. Sometimes we don't believe it the second time. The third time, sometimes we're still sort of ignorant to what he just said. And the fourth time, it's like, oh, maybe that's for me. Yes. He goes on to say this too, not only about what I'm giving you, this is my guarantee, I'm giving you this land. This is your land now. He goes, I'm also with you, my presence. Look at the different verses here, verse 5 and 9. No one's going to be able to stand against you. I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. Right? God's presence is here. I'm not leaving you. These are God's guarantees to Joshua because Joshua is probably flipping out right now, right? He's like, I'm giving you this land. I've told you this four times. I am with you. I'm not leaving you. I've told you this four times. These are my guarantees. But then he goes on to say one more thing. He says, when you obey me, here's a guarantee. Verse 7 and verse 8. You'll be successful in everything. This is one of the first times the word success is used in the Bible when it follows obedience. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do when you obey. So God says, here's my guarantees. Here's my promises to you. They're for you. Now, here's what you need to do for me. You need to be obedient. And he says this, with these guarantees come some commands. Here's the first command, and it's repeated four times. Be strong and courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. In other words, be strong and courageous. That's a command. 
That isn't like a pep talk, like, hey, I hope you feel better. It's like, no, you will be strong and courageous. When God tells us to be strong and courageous, he's telling you to stand up and be strong. Not think about being strong. Not be motivated to be courageous. No, be strong. Be courageous. He goes on to say this. Here's the second command. And he repeats it seven, verse eight, uh, multiple times, like five times he sort of gets into this. He goes, I want you to obey all these instructions right here. Don't depart from them. Don't go to the left of them and don't go to the right of them. Stay steadfast on them. Meditate on these day and night. Obey everything written in it. See, these words that came from God were words of assurance and guarantee and command. That's how he's going to start off this book. And, and, and that's what we need. Because why? Because, again, Joshua is facing a new situation in life. How do I handle it? I'm in charge. I've got all these things I've never done before. Some of us in here maybe are doing things, acting or facing things we've never faced before. How do we handle those? God gives us a glimpse by how he talked to Joshua. God has a plan. And as God encourages us, he fills us with the courage and the strength we need to move forward in the plan that God's given us. He's given us reassurance and guarantees. And it's all right here in his written word. We've got the answers to help us move forward, right? Our marching orders for you and I, just like for Joshua. And we have an incredible responsibility to know God's word, to talk about God's word, to read God's word, to meditate on God. That's our responsibility. Every time you open up the word of God, these are his words. If you're sitting there saying, I've never heard God speak to me, then maybe you've never opened the Bible. Because when God speaks through his word, he is speaking to you and I. I love nothing more than having my quiet time and opening up the word. And then I also love listening to other pastors and other speakers expand on God's word. And it's like I've got this new breath of fresh air in me, right? That's because it's his breath that's breathing into us. He shows us, he gives us the grace. And then he says, I want you to take that grace that I've given to you and I want you to go give it to other people now. The mercy that I've shown you, I want you to show mercy to others. And it's like, wait a minute. We've got to show grace and mercy to others? Yeah, yeah. Like how? And I love it because this is how Joshua starts. Joshua starts with, here, I, I, I've got a big plan for you. And in order to do this plan, you've got to know what's guaranteed to you. And you've got to know my commands. Are you, are you ready now? Okay, now I want you to go. And one of the first things that... We read in Joshua how God shows grace to people who do not deserve it. Go to chapter 2 of Joshua. Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. It says this. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp to the Achaia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. I want you to go around Jericho. I want you to check it out. Now, if you remember, Moses, 40 years earlier, Moses sent out 12 spies. Out of those 12, two gave, you know, well, they all gave good reports. But two said, we can do this. God gave it to us. The other 10 sort of spread false rumors, complained, and you know the story from last week, right? But these this time it's only two. Why two? I don't know. But it's just two. And I also had to sit there and think, why do they need to scout it out? Because didn't God just say he's going to fight for them? Right? God's going to fight for you. Why? Why do I need to go scout out the place? 
I'm going to tell you why. Because even though God has a plan for you and I, you and I are still responsible for our actions in the plan. Sometimes we sit to think, well, God's got this. He does have this, but he also has you to be a part of it. So we're responsible in our actions, right? So the two spies go in, they check it out. But I think it's more than that. I think they're on a rescue mission. Because as you read what happens, it appears that God wants to show his grace and mercy to a family in Jericho. Uh, Jericho, by the way, is a very ungodly place. It's nasty. Okay? And not a really place you want to hang out. And as I read through this, I'm sitting there thinking, as I read this story, I'm thinking, maybe God wants to remind me that in the midst of wherever I'm living or whatever culture I'm a part of, that God's got somebody around me that maybe I need to reach out to. Maybe I'm sort of on a mission like those spies. I don't know. But we need to be familiar with the characteristic of God because this is so him. I mean, fast forward to New Testament. Jesus is going, in John chapter 4, Jesus is going through Samaria. Oh, he could have gone around Samaria. Remember, the Jews and the Samaritans hate each other. Okay? If you want to try to integrate them, no way. It's complete segregation. We don't want these people near each other because they'll kill each other, right? And Jesus is like, I'm just going to walk right through Samaria. Why? Oh, and not only does he walk through Samaria, he stops at a small village, sits down next to a promiscuous woman. Like, you, you, know what, you know what she's like, Lord? And he's like, absolutely. I want to tell you about the living water. Jesus is always searching for that one. Luke chapter 12, uh, there's parables that Jesus told. He told about one lost coin, one lost sheep, one lost son. It was always about one, right? There's that one out there that needs to be saved. There's that one that needs to be rescued. Joshua chapter 2, go back there. It goes on to say, oh, I forgot to give you my quiz. Before you go to Joshua 2, here's the quiz. How many people in the city does Jesus want to reach? Hmm. Everybody got an answer? Oh, good answer, all of them. I don't know who said it first, but give them a candy bar. I don't know. Dave, you got any of those suckers left? All right, good. See Pastor Dave for a sucker afterwards. All of them, absolutely. So whether it's Washington, whether it's Washington, well, Washington needs Jesus. Um, Wasion, Delta, Pettisville, Archbold, Washington, D.C., we all need Jesus. Okay, we'll throw them all in there, okay? No matter who it is, all of us needs Jesus. That's who Jesus wants to reach. And for some reason, we think just churchy people, that's who we want to reach. People that might want to come to a church. There's a lot of people who will never step foot in a church. Guess what? They need Jesus. They do, just like I needed him. Chapter 2, Joshua says, so the two men set out came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. Woo! They stayed at the house of a prostitute. How did that get in the Bible? I don't know. But it's there. And I'm sitting there thinking, why that house? Maybe because it's along the walls, easy, easy, quick access in and out of the city. Or maybe because when somebody would come into town, nobody's going to question why they would go to the house of a prostitute because that's normal. Remember, this, this place is pretty rough, okay? But we do know this about Rahab is one, she's listed right away as being a prostitute. She's also a Gentile, which means she's not a Jew. She's also an Amorite. The Amorite people were pretty rough people. Let me give you a little bit about their background, just a couple words. They sacrificed their children on idol worship. Laid them out, knifed them. They sacrificed their kids, burned them, whatever. 
They turn their backs on God. That's a nasty group of people, isn't it? That's her family background. And she was a prostitute. If you were to look at the book of Numbers, chapter 25, and you're reading through there, it says that prostitution was the act of sleeping around outside of marriage. It's against God's standards. It's not about God keeping us from pleasure. It's God protecting us from compromise. And in Numbers, the children of Israel, they were always looking for pleasure. Can I give you an understanding of what happens when we look for pleasure? When you look for pleasure, it leads to a weakened faith. And when your faith is weak, it leads to basically you walking away from God. Some people want to know, you know, I can't believe I'm this far from God. Or I don't know what happened. I'm going to tell you where it started. It starts off with you're seeking a pleasure. And then it weakens your faith. And then next thing you know, you're away from God. Here's another way to look at it. At least for in the Bible here as we we're reading this. You encounter somebody that's a forbidden relationship you shouldn't be around. But then you encounter them. And you flirt with them. And you know what that leads to? It leads not to just an unfaithfulness in your relationship with the person you should be with, but an unfaithfulness to God. And then it results in God's anger. And we're like, I don't understand why God's mad at me. Did you, did you see where this all started? <laughs> with our choice, right? And we read in Scripture that it wasn't like God's trying to keep us from pleasure, but there's certain pleasures that take us down the wrong path. And this is one of them. And in James chapter 2, verse 25, go to the New Testament, and this is what it says. Rahab the prostitute. <laughs> wow. It's not, isn't it nice to know? I and mean, there's probably a bunch of Rahabs throughout the Scripture, but this one, she always make sure you, I want to make sure you know who we're talking about. The prostitute, right? The Greek word for prostitute, by the way, is the same word where we get our word pornography. The Greek word pornos is the same word that's used for adulteress or prostitute. And then the word grapho, the second part of pornography, means to write. Therefore, pornography refers to reflections on the writings or pictures of prostitution. That means basically when any individual meditates on the writings or pictures that contain pornography, it's equivalent to mental prostitution. Jesus told us, he said, I say that anyone who looks on a woman with lust... You've already committed adultery in your mind. I mean, Jesus comes right out and says this, right? And a lot of us are like, ooh, that's a little rough. But I'm telling you, I'm going to say over 90% of the people in this world are probably dealing with this issue. You're like, oh, no. Yeah, a lot of people do. I'm sure nobody in here does, right? We know many of us struggle with this. Nobody talks about it. And it's so scriptural. We look at Rahab and we roll our eyes and condemn her. Oh, prostitute. And God doesn't roll his eyes at that. God focuses his eyes on that woman. and says, I want to rescue you. I know it's destroying your life. If you're having sexual relationships with somebody outside of marriage, even the point of looking at pornography, we are committing adultery, which God speaks against. And I know I don't want to hear this, and maybe you don't want to hear this, but we need to speak truth in the church. And when we start covering up truth, we're no different than the rest of this world. God's word reveals truth. And that's when truth is revealed, you know what happens? That's when God's grace and mercy become real to us. Because if we aren't real with what's going on in our hearts, then the real grace and mercy of God is pretty cheap. But when we understand we need his grace and his mercy, then it becomes very strong. Rahab's prostitution and occupation is one that God, oh, he would have loved to wipe out. But instead of wiping out an occupation, he decided to rescue them from that. 
Some people don't like it that these men stayed at her house. Like, I can't believe they stayed at her house. Why didn't they pick somebody else's house? Because God was on a rescue mission. He didn't say, I want you to go join in the act of prostitution. He said, I want you to go hide there. And they went there. She hid them up on the roof because the king and the the soldiers found out that there were some spies. They started searching. They came and they searched her house. They were hidden up on the roof underneath some, some, uh, some of the roofing, the flax that was up there. It says in Joshua chapter 2, let's read that, starting in verse 8. It says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk to them. Because I know the Lord's given you this land, she said. We're all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. We've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea where you left Egypt. We know what you did in Sion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. They're like, yeah, we, 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 it was over 40 years ago, but we are still talking about how your God parted the Red Sea. Your God's famous around here. He makes us scared. She goes on to say, verse 11, No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. It's like, how did she hear about God? I don't know, from her clientele? From rumors around the town? She heard somehow she knew who God was. And she believed. That's hard to believe, isn't it? (laughs) Wait, Rahab... Rahab has faith in God now? Yeah. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, in the New Testament, it says this. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, yep, her name's thrown in there again, was not destroyed with the people in her city, Jericho, who refused to obey God, for she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. See, she had faith in God, and then she placed actions along with that faith. She's like, I believe, and I'm going to show you that I believe. James chapter 2, verse 14, it says this. What good is it? Remember, James, the brother of Jesus, says this. What good is it, my dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show in your actions? Can that faith save anybody? Suppose you say that you see a brother or sister, they have no food or clothing. And you say, goodbye, have a good day. Stay warm, eat well, but you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So you see, faith isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. James goes on to say, now someone can argue, some people have faith, others have good deeds. But I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you by my faith and my good deeds. You say you have faith and you believe that there's one God good for you. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. How foolish. Can't you see that faith without deeds is useless? That's what James was saying, the brother of Jesus, right? And then he goes on to say in verse 25, again, this is James, he's writing this. By the way, Rahab the the prostitute, you wrote it, is another example. She was shown to be right with God by her actions when she hid the messengers and sent them safely on a different road. Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. Church, are you hearing this? Our good works and our faith go together. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 reminds us that it wasn't 
by our works. It was by grace we've been saved. Through our faith, not our works. Otherwise, we'd boast about it. We'd brag about it. Look at the good things I did, and I'm right with Jesus. Uh-uh. It's your faith that gets you right with Jesus, and then it's your actions that follow up. And oftentimes what we see is people say they believe in God, but they never show that they believe in God. And we've got other people that are doing a lot of good things out there, but they don't believe in God. And James says, you've got to have both, a faith and actions that go together. Rahab put her life on the line. She believed in this God, and she goes, I'm going to hide the spies. I'm going to show you that I have faith. Here's what happens. If they find out that she's hiding the spies, her and her family are basically executed. So would you hide anybody in your house knowing that when the police show up, if they find them, you're dead. Some of us would never do that unless our faith is so strong in God that he's told us we've got to hide these people and help them, right? So you put your faith and your actions together. That's what she did. She was a Gentile. She was an Amorite. She was a prostitute. How many times do we have to read that? But you know what? Despite all of her past and her unfair titles that were given to her or fair titles that were given to her. God said, I got a plan for you. I know your past. God forgave her of her past, gave her an incredible future. She married a name by the name of a man by the name of Salmon, and they had a son whose name was Boaz. Boaz married a woman named Ruth. You maybe read about her in the book of Ruth, right? Oh, they had a child named Obed who had a child named Jesse, who had a child named David, who was king, who, go down the line, had Jesus. You see what happened out of Rahab's life? Jesus. Some of us think our past is so unforgivable. Really, that's a pride issue. Please drop it. If you think your sin is so bad that God can't forgive you, then you've disqualified God. God is above it. He can forgive you of anything. And give you the marching orders to start moving forward in life. Just as he did with Joshua and he did with Rahab. As you're reading the story, Rahab helped these men escape. They got out of there. It's an incredible picture. But I think about this story of Rahab and the truth is we're all like Rahab. We've all messed up. Whether you count your sin on a scale of 1 to 10, like, well, my sin's a 1, and Rahab, she's a 10. I mean, look at what she did, right? I don't care what you rate your sin. I don't care what I rate my sin. It doesn't matter. We're all sinners. We've all messed up. And God wants to rescue us of that. That's what is so amazing about what we just sang early at the very beginning. That was about his amazing grace. That's why it's so amazing, is that the grace of God giving us what we don't deserve. He's like, he looks at us and says, I know what you've done, and I forgive you. That's why we sing Amazing Grace. And all through history, God sent rescue missions. And we've realized that maybe in, in, in times when we deserve God's wrath, God's judgment, him pointing his finger at us saying, I know what you did. Instead, God does what? Instead of pointing his finger at us, he goes, I sent the one to save you. Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father except through him. Church, I'm going to ask you, have you received God's grace and mercy? Have you? Do you remember the day when you prayed and asked for forgiveness? Say, said, God, I'm sorry. I've messed up. 
Thank you for sending your son to die for me. The perfect, the perfect sacrifice. Because I can't do enough good to get right with you. So you did it through your son, Jesus. So God, forgive me. I'm so sorry. Come into my life. Do you remember that moment? Because it was in that moment God said, my grace is sufficient for you. I'm giving it to you. And it was a special moment, right? And in that moment, here's what I want to remind you. You tasted salvation. You've been saved. But salvation is not the end game. Salvation is not where, like, the means to the end. It's, that, that's just the beginning. Now that you have new life in Jesus Christ, now that you are saved, that's where we start living out our grace. That's where we start living out our mercy. And we start treating others with that same grace and mercy that God's given us. He rescued us just like he rescued Rahab. And look what Rahab did with her life. And just as God spoke to Joshua and the people, he speaks to us today. Be strong. Be courageous, church. I'm with you. I'm with you. He tells us in his word, I know you're going into uncharted territory, but you are not going alone. 2020 was such uncharted territory for all of us. Even tomorrow is uncharted for us. But God's promised to go with us each step of the way. And what if God called you to share this with that person who pushes your buttons? <laughs> Did that person's face just pop into your mind? You're like, oh, I've been trying not to think about them today. What if God called you to share Jesus with a drug addict? What if God called you to share Jesus with a murderer? What if God called you to share Jesus with a prostitute or a stripper? Would you? What if you know somebody's background was so gnarly, you're like, I don't know if I could be around them. But what if God calls you to go share his grace and mercy with them, would you? Oh, it's easy to share Jesus with people you like, isn't it? It's easy to wear a Jesus shirt or, or carry your Bible around or tell people, hey, I go to this church or whatever. But what about the people that are not so easy to share that with? You know, we look at this story, what? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that if a good person believes on him, no, that if anyone believes. For God so loved just a good people, well, God loved everyone. Lamentations 3, 23 says, The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is the faithfulness. His mercies are fresh and new each morning. God's grace and mercy are new every single day. When you wake up in the morning, he's got new grace and mercy for you. You thought you ran out yesterday or last night? No, his grace and mercy is new for you today. God's grace is new every day. Live today with the grace of God being poured out onto you so you can pour it out onto others. We are to be God's people in opposition or opposing times in a godless culture. How many people have we discounted or not spoken to because they're different than us? Or how many times have we thought, they probably don't want to hear it, so I'm not going to talk to them about Jesus. Or how many times this year have we burned bridges instead of building bridges? Have we created barriers instead of knocking down walls? I I can't tell you how many people just within the church are no longer talking to each other because of political views, a mask, whatever it may be. We have allowed the things of this world to separate what God said, keep unified. God's mercies and grace are new every day. So that when I wake up today, I can share his grace with somebody. Even that person that maybe I struggle with. 
we need to awaken to what God's called upon our life. The first call was this. I love you. Will you read it? Restore this new this relationship with me? Absolutely, God, I'm so sorry. And then there's another calling, and that's for us to share our faith with others. Mark Twain had this saying. He said, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. I want to change his quote. I want it to say this. The two most important days in your life are the day you're born again and the day you find out why. Those are the two most important days of our life, church. The day you give your life to Jesus Christ, that is the most important day of your life. The second most important day, the day you figure out why and what you're going to do with that faith that God's given you. God's called your name, just like he called Rahab's name, and he showed you grace, and he showed me grace. He's rescued us, and God's called us now to share his grace. God wants to use you right where you're at. You don't have to raise money to go on a mission field. You can do it right in your backyard. You can go to the person, whoever's at a store, running next to a coworker, somebody in your class. You don't have to go very far to share God's grace and mercy with somebody. They're right there all the time. Listen, we can't change our past, but God can forgive it and give us a new hope. Today, new grace, new mercy has been shown to us. What are we doing with the church? Future, not here yet. I have today, though. And what am I doing with today? What are you doing with today? Listen, 2020, I look back at 2020, and I'm going to tell you this. It didn't take God by surprise. God wasn't up there like, ooh, oops, whoa, what happened? Oh, wow, what? It never took God by surprise. And some of us, including myself, said, I think 2020 was a mistake. You know what? I no longer believe that. You know what? Maybe, maybe it was just one big setup so that God could show up. Think about it. It seems like somebody has been turning off the lights in this world and it's getting darker and darker. We'll back up on that picture. And church, I want to tell you right now, it's time to shine for Jesus. I think 2020 should, should be opening up the eyes of the church body and saying, you know what? God has saved me. And I'm living in dark times and I want to be that one light that starts and I want my light to shine for Jesus and I want others around me to start shining too. And I'm not going to wait. Some of us have seen things so differently. I put this picture up. Um, it, basically, if you look at the picture on the right, oop, there we go. The picture on the right, they're looking at these, these planks on the ground. One says, I see seven. The other one says, I see five. Can you see both perspectives there? If you look at the one saying five, I see five. And if you look at the seven, I can see seven from his, from his view, right? Look at the picture on the left. Does that look like a, a guy sitting there playing a saxophone? A little jazz going on there? Look closer. It's a silhouette of a woman. Do you see her? Do you see her eyes and nose and lips? See, it's how you look at things, right? The, the perspective of things. And I think we have looked at 2020 one way and God says, no, I'm looking at 2020 another way. I've given you, church, an opportunity to rise up, to be strong and courageous, to start showing my grace and mercy to people that need it. So what are you going to do with it, church? Our mission statement is what? Love God, love others. That's the worship team that come forward at this time. I think part of my problem is I've been looking around judging people instead of 
worshiping the ultimate judge. I think part of my problem has been I maybe have made choices that have hurt others instead of asking God, God, have have me to have a heart that hurts for others. I think there's a lot I've been learning over this past year, and it all basically came to a point where I was to the point where I was like, you know what? I just want things to change. I really do. And I can't wait for this stupid pandemic to be over with so that we can gather again as a church and and be able to hug and hold each other and and sing and, and worship and gather in stadiums and see revival take place. I can't wait for the pandemic to be done so that we can go out and start seeing people joyful again. And then Friday night it hit me. God spoke to me. It was clear as a bell to me. He said, what are you waiting for, Rex? Now's the time. You don't have to wait for a pandemic to be over to shine for me. Tell the church, wake up, start shining. Start living for me. What are we waiting on? Well, when we can all not have to social distance and wear masks, then we'll get together and share Jesus. No, no. We don't know when that's going to end. So what are we waiting for? If God's going to reach down into the life of a prostitute and say, before I deal with the rest of the city, I want to pull you out. Because you matter to me. How many people around us matter and we've not told them that? How many people around us are dying and we've not told them about the love of God? Church, I want to encourage you. Okay, this isn't a scolding. This this is what I feel like God was telling me the other day. It's like, we've got to be strong and courageous. In uncharted territory, by the grace of God, let's do something. I don't care what it is. God will tell you what you need to do. Just do it. Be obedient. Would you stand, please? It begins with, first of all, just to surrender. I know this. Joshua could not lead the people until he himself had surrendered to God. So maybe that's where it begins with you. Maybe it begins with the surrendering. You can surrender right at your seat. You can come up here at the steps. I don't care. Wherever, however. But if you need to surrender to God, just surrender him. Seek forgiveness. Ask him to give you a softer heart. Maybe your heart's become hard. Maybe you've been out of focus. Ask him to help you focus on what it is you need to do. Just you and him right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you just speak to this church. I know there are many that are watching online and I pray that they are right now bowing their heads to so easy to disengage and maybe get from our chair, get from our couch, have a sip of coffee, take a drink of water and not pray. God, right now, help us to focus and just pray. Deal with our hearts. Deal with our focus. Your grace is so huge. New every morning, never runs out. Giving us what we don't deserve. Rahab did not deserve a new life and you gave it to her. And if you're going to give that to Rahab, you're going to give that to anyone who calls on your name. So God, right now, hear us as we call on your name. Pour your grace on us. Forgive us, God. Forgive us, God. 
mend our relationships with each other. For the marriages in this room and those that are listening that are struggling, mend those relationships. For the families that have been broken, mend those relationships. For the pain and the hurt physically, heal those bodies. For the hearts that have been hardened towards you, God, soften our hearts. Hear our prayers. We surrender to you, God. You're so good. You're so great. God, we sang about how good you are, but you're more than good. You are great. God, as we sing this next song, we want to continue to pray and praise. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now in thy name. Amen.